and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Promising Young Woman, and I am thrilled to be joined by an old friend of mine from journalism school and a current television writer for the New York Daily News, Kate Feldman. Kate, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So, yes, I'm very excited to be joined by Kate. She was lucky enough to see this movie for the first time back at the end of 2020. And uh, she is, like I said, a TV writer first and foremost, who I talk to about a lot about TV. But, you know, don't get the t- chance to talk to Kate about movies that often because, you know, she has a job where her job is to watch TV, not movies. So she only gets to see so many of them. And when I saw she had a lot of strong feelings on Promising Young Woman, I was excited to reach out to her and have her join me. So Kate and I are going to talk about Promising Young Woman, which just got five Oscar nominations yesterday or two days ago as of the day we we're recording this. And just a, a movie that's all of a sudden received a lot of acclaim and it, a lot more people are about to see it because it just became a lot more affordable. So I think we're going to just kind of dive right in and talk about it in a more uh, spoilery manner. So I'll go out right now and just kind of say, everyone, I think we're, we're both going to recommend this movie to you, but I want to be able to talk about it uh, without having to like kind of talk around the edges of it. So uh, go watch it for five ninety nine on Amazon and then come back and listen to us talk. Uh, I think you'd agree with that, right, Kate? You, 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 from, from, I would. The, from the it's jump. A, it's a tough movie to talk about without spoilers, which I've had to do for several months. Oh, yeah. So we're, we're, we're diving right in because people can now easily see it. And so, but you would second me on you're going to recommend people watch it is also what I was getting at. Yes, you have, and you have, I would recommend str- watching it repeatedly, in yes. fact. Yeah, strong, strong endorsements from both of us off the top. But again, it's a hard movie. Like we said, it's a hard movie to talk about. So feel free to leave and come back. But uh, if you want to listen as much as you feel comfortable doing, you can do that too. Uh, Promising Young Woman is the debut movie from writer-director Emerald Fennell, who uh, a lot of people might know from showrunning on uh, Killing Eve or starring as Camilla Parker-Bowles on The Crown for the last two seasons. The movie tells the story of Cassie, a 30-year-old med school dropout who works in a coffee shop, but in her spare time, she goes to bars and clubs and pretends to be very intoxicated, lures men into helping her home, and yet when those men try and take advantage of her, she uh, calls them out and reveals herself to not be the drunk, helpless person they all thought. And eventually throughout the movie, we come to learn more about what motivates Cassie, and we see her potentially find other opportunities in life while also hatching other plans as the movie goes on in uh, very intricate details. Uh, Kate, I guess the first thing I want to ask you, again, as I already mentioned off the top here, uh, you only get to see so many movies, so it's always notable to me when like you... You, you have strong opinions on this and you came right out and said from the the first tweet you had about this movie your first story you posted about it was that it was the best movie of 2020 and one of the best movies you've ever seen so uh not to not to put you on the spot with like too broad of a question but i want to ask you uh upon your first viewing of this movie because i know you've now seen it multiple times what about it really really resonated with you that just uh really made it work for you the most what was your like your first big takeaway of like wow emerald fennel really pulled this off because she did this it was everything, which is a terrible answer for this, but I also think it was the important part. I actually know exactly what you mean. That this, <laughs> this movie did everything I wanted from it. It was fun. It was bright. It was loud. The acting was great. The music was great. And it also actually got the messaging right. You know, we've we've seen movies. We've seen TV shows. We've seen pop culture try to talk about rape culture. And I think this is the first movie that understood it. And it also is one of the first movies that understood rage. And it just and that was a whole that was a whole point for me was that it did everything I needed from it and more. So that's why I liked it was because it was just right. You no, know, yeah, and I, I and I, I know you feel weird giving an answer like that, but I actually think it's like a really good one because 
the thing that struck me about it on first viewing was that it felt like, I mean, even though it is a first time director making this movie, it felt like someone that had total control of like every single aspect of what she was doing. And like, I mean, we'll talk about it, but there are like just so many little intricate details throughout this movie that are just like, that, that are just like completely, that, that, that are excellent. And that someone that saw their vision through in like every way possible, whether it be the look, the, the acting, the, the casting, the soundtrack, I mean, everything. And it's like, wow, like they really didn't just yada yada anything in this whole movie. And I, I, I was a little worried because this movie had just an absolutely incredible trailer. Uh, and like, I, I, so I, I spent all of last year just like looking forward to it. Cause it was originally going to be a, it was originally probably supposed to come out almost a year ago to the, to or maybe 11 months ago. It was going to mm. be an April, 2020 release. And then obviously the pandemic happened. So I saw people talking about it at a Sundance and then I saw the first trailer and I was like, Oh my God, like this looks like an incredible. Cause the trailer like it had a great hook without actually giving anything away. And, 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 and that was when they first debuted the uh, instrumental version of Toxic on there. And I was just like, oh, wow, th- what is this? And so I like had it built up in my head because first I saw that. I saw all the initial reviews. I was ready for it. It was like six weeks away from coming out. And then COVID happened. And then like critics started seeing it again around the time you did. And then I had to wait for it to like come on demand. And then I like let it build back up in my head as all this good word of mouth happened. And sometimes when that happens for me, I get my expectations like way too high for something. And then I'm like, have a little bit of a letdown. So it was like, it was really, really, really a pleasant surprise to have it not let me down in any way. And I, and I, and I, and I liked that the next thing you said after that was that like, it really got the messaging right. Cause that's the, that's, that's the other thing that I kind of found so impressive about it myself is that I think when a lot of people hear the term rape culture, or when they think about how it's normally handled in pop culture, I think that normally like conjures images of like frat parties. And mm. that's where I think that's where people's minds go when they think about it. So I think, and I want to know, I, I'm, I'm, assu- I'm assuming, you, I mean, you agreed that it handled the messaging, right? But I think the number one specific thing I think it, it did so well was that obviously, like, I don't think you're going to get anyone, well, I take that back. Most reasonable people aren't going to argue that, like, rape is bad. Rape culture is not a thing that should be supported. But I think what was so smart about it is that it not only has, like, you know, what we see in the trailer with her, like, messing with those guys, but I think the movie is, like, equally effective in, like, taking aim at, like, those that are just, like, complicit and not the not the direct actors in rape culture. And it finds a way to, you know, because, I mean, for, while obviously the number of people that have, like, either uh, been raped or committed rape is too high to begin with, the number of people that have, like, probably been complicit or stood by and said nothing when something bad happened or didn't help someone in need is probably a far higher number. So I think the movie was, like, very effective in how it, like, t- takes aim at both of those groups and doesn't let anyone off the hook Mm. and I think that's a conversation that I don't want to say we but I think I personally have had this conversation with a lot of men in my life over the last few years post Weinstein post Kevin Spacey you know the list goes on and on but it is the shades of gray of sexual assault and rape culture but it is like you said it is the bystanders it's the guys who laughed it off and go oh she was just a little tipsy or you know she wanted it it's the culture and the system that has allowed this to proliferate because nobody believes it. Yeah, you know, and it was funny. Around the time I reached out to you about doing the podcast, the story about the Mets GM came out. And I, it, it kind of had me thinking about how – I know it's something you, you obviously followed very closely as someone that covers that market and is familiar with that team. But it was like, you know, when when, when Me Too happened or when the Me Too movement kind of first happened, I think a lot of people kind of thought the next domino to fall would be sports. And I know I'm getting a, getting a little off track here for the movie, but, like, it just had me thinking, like, the fact that, like – 
and yes, there have been maybe some stories. There was the, there was the Redskins thing. Uh, there mm-hmm. is you, you know obviously the thing with the Mets GM, but like the fact that you can really kind of count on one hand how much that really how, how many big sports stories came out in that regard. It kind of speaks to like. I think it really does speak to that complicity uh, and that it's like, that's like a, that's one very big industry where, you know, there's like a lot more there, but the fact that more haven't, hasn't come out is because there's like a culture of like protecting people and not having safe places for people to report those kind of things and people not taking it seriously. And it, mm-hmm. th- th- this, I mean, this movie obviously illustrates this, uh, a lot of good examples of those kind of actors who just kind of let stuff slide. But like, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a trend that can be like present in like so many other parts of like, our country or the, mm-hmm. not just our country, but you get what I'm saying. Right. I think, um, I am a Mets fan. I know you're a Phillies fan, so we won't go into that <laughs> with the Mickey Calloway stories. You know, we're not going to go into all details, but the quote kept coming out that, you know, this was the worst kept secret in baseball. And I'm sitting there going the def- definitionally worst kept secret means everybody was keeping the same secret <laughs> and therein lies our problem. Yeah. For sure. It's a really good point. And I think it's, I think what's so important because like all of those issues are like super important and they're in there. They are issues that deserve like a really serious level of discourse. And I think what part of make what makes promising a woman so like impressive is that like it obviously tackles those issues head on. And I think it's priorities in the right place, but like it manages to just like be like a, a, like a, like a very entertaining movie at the same time. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really hard balancing act to pull off. I think, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll run by, like, uh, as we as we go on, I might run through a couple of the criticisms I've heard and kind of see what your response to some of them is. But I mean, I feel like some people might just say, I've said, like, th- like, they were a little confused by the tone, which wasn't really an issue for me, and I'm guessing not for you, but I can understand maybe where someone might be coming from with something like that. But I think, like, I think one of the things I like most about this movie was that it found a way to, uh, found a way to, like, have a lot of, like, actual funny different types of moments for a movie with like such heavy subject matter how did you feel about just like the 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 tone and the wavelength that emerald fennel was on throughout this whole entire movie i think if this had been a very stated serious and even dark movie it would have been unwatchable it was barely watchable as it is i loved it we've established that but i don't know how many times i can watch this movie without it just gutting and destroying me so I think by building in the Paris Hilton sing-along and the fun moments and Laverne Cox, it made it it made it more mainstream movie. And I don't want a culture where we have to put, you know, bubblegum pink hair behind a movie about rape culture so people watch it. But I do think that that played a big role in that you can go to the movies and have fun and there is still this message. And it's not beating you over the head with it. I, I certainly did not feel browbeat at all, and mm-hmm. I think I think I think that's a good thing. I think people should hopefully be willing to. I mean, if there was like a serious documentary on this subject, and I'm sure there are plenty of them, I think it's a good thing for people to see. But there's also room for something like this, and I, I think that I think I think a big part of that too is you know the the cast of the movie. And mm-hmm. I, I'm curious what you thought as a uh, as a TV writer that uh, Emerald Fennel went and plucked all the nice guys from TV and, and, and plopped them in this movie. I mean, I think it's very clear what she was trying to do. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I, I thought it was 
pretty brilliant because it's not like she just picked nice guys. She picked like, like I think she was like very, very intentional with the specific guys that she got to be in this movie. I don't know how much you knew about it going in. And I, I knew a decent amount of who was in the cast because some of these guys are like in the trailer, but not all of them are. So what did you think as you like mm-hmm. were watching this movie and you saw some of the choices she made and how did that affect for you like the vibe of the movie? Because at first it's like, oh, cool. Like I, I, I kind of have a, I kind of have some kind of relationship with this actor. It's like, oh, wow. Okay. Here is where we're going. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess I, when, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking almost more of the non-Bo Burnham people, but Bo Burnham's obviously like a big part of this. But mm-hmm. like, how did that affect the vibe of the movie for you as someone that like probably was familiar with like a lot of the actors in this movie? And <laughs> they, and then obviously right, it, it kind of subverts your expectations. Yeah. Yeah. It was very intentional. It was clearly intentional. I have talked to enough people from the movie that I know that this was intentional from the get go. Mm-hmm. And she also pulled it off perfectly. It was the exact right people. For me, the actual perfect answer isn't Bo Burnham, it's Chris Lowell. Mm. I'm a big Veronica Mars fan. I'm the only person who watched Enlisted. I interviewed Chris Lowell for Glee a few years, or if not Glee, I'm sorry, for Glow. He's actually a friend of a friend. Chris Lowell is actually the nicest guy (laughs) in the world. Like, that's not even an exaggeration. And I interviewed him for this movie as well. And, you know, we talked about, we didn't do spoilers at the time, but we talked about how hard this role was for him. But it just, that was the whole point of the movie. And again, this goes back to us talking about the vibe of it. Mm-hmm. Not all rapes are these, you know, horrifying knife point back alley, you know, assaults. They yes. can just be very casual encounters. And that's the whole point. And it can just be the nice guys who read the room wrong. Yeah, it can be someone that's like as clean cut as Chris Lowell. Uh, and, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I think, well, I mean, one of the funny things, because, I mean, I... I am like a, I mean, my, what, uh, one of my two favorite shows of the, of the century is Veep. So I am obviously a very big Sam Richardson <laughs> fan. And I was like, in, but it's funny because they made him like even more of a sleazeball technically than the Chris Lowell character is, even though he's, he's not the murderer, but like kind of the way he dresses and he's like wearing a fedora and like kind of like, he's not even like pretending to put on the nice guy. He might call himself a nice guy and might think he's a nice guy, but he's not really pretending in the same way that uh, he doesn't have the same veneer of niceness that Chris Lowell does. He's saying like crude, terrible mm-hmm. things and all that. So it's like, uh, there, there, there are some ways in which it more directly upended your expectations. But the fact is like, he literally played maybe the nicest character that's been on TV in the last 20 years. Like the most innocent character in a show full of like awful ones. And so like, even before he starts saying stuff in this movie, you're like, Oh, hey, it's Richard. And like, you're really excited about it. And then, uh, and then, like you said, like Adam Brody, like who doesn't love Seth Cohen? Uh, and I, I'm not a big new girl person, but I'm still familiar with Max Greenfield. And like, I kind of know the, I know the vibe he's supposed to get off, give off. I've seen My Name is Hello, My Name is Doris, where he's just a delightful person in that befriending Sally Field. And it's, again, Veronica Mars, we got Deputy Leo. <laughs> okay, I've never watched Veronica Mars. I know I kind of need to. Um, and yeah, I, I, I probably but like we it. did have a nice Veronica Mars reunion with yeah, yeah, my just, yeah, just doing some like just doing some harmful, harm, harm, totally harmless activities, those guys. But like, I, I just thought it was like super smart because like that's a way like I mean, again, if you're fine with the way the movie jumps around with its tone, then like you're it's not going to bother you. But at the same time, like I do think it kind of goes to the overall message of the movie without actually having to like you said right off the bat you said it you know it's not beating you over the head i think a way it's not beating over the head because it's just it's just sending a message with the people it's putting in the movie without actually having to have them say anything necessarily to get its point across which i think is part of the genius of it right you're supposed to go oh hey that's me on screen or that's my roommate or that's my best friend that's the whole point 
Yeah. You're supposed to recognize these characters in yourself and then go, oh, no. You know, and um, my, 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 my friend Joey, who... Uh, it was on the long last episode of this podcast. Uh, I listened to an interview he did himself with Emerald Fennel before, and you might've already known this. I think you might've interviewed her too. Uh, but no, she was like the one I didn't get. Ah, but. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. But like one thing she said in that interview she did with Joey was that like, they were like actually pretty, you might not have noticed it unless you were looking for it. And I mean, I kind of could figure it out a little bit by the production design, but I honestly didn't j- click until I heard her say it in the interview was that like, they went to different kinds of bars too. The, the, each of those guys, like the, the first place, the, the first opening scenes like in an after after work kind of place i don't think you actually you don't actually see the bar that she goes to with uh the neil christopher mintz platt's character but apparently he's dressed in such a way that you're supposed to think they came from like a hipster bar and she's dressed like that too and then uh he's going to it's a little more of a club type place that she is with the sam richardson character later on so Mm -hmm. they're like very and apparently she dressed differently for each of them which makes sense when you think about that she's wearing like more of a business suit at the in the first scene and then uh and like kind of like a more of a straight up let's go clubbing type kind of look in the sam richardson scene so it's like not only is it like you're probably going to unfortunately something is going to hit a little too close to home for most people that watch this movie because honestly like every unfortunately everyone probably has a friend that's you know done some level of something before that it approximates something in this movie but she like had the foresight to like uh dress her character for three different types of places and encounter three different types of guys at those places where it's just going to kind of run the whole gamut of different type of people that it it does have a larger chance of like unfortunately hitting home with someone in the audience Mm -hmm. and i mean this is going back to what we were talking about before but from everything from people i talked to on the set emerald fennel came in from day one she knew exactly what she wanted this movie to be and she made exactly the movie she wanted uh carrie mulligan i I pulled up my notes just for you Mm -hmm. know to go back over them carrie mulligan told me that she got the script in january 2019 and along with the script in the email was a Spotify playlist that mm. included Stars Are Blind, Toxic, and Charlie XCX. Like, that's <laughs> how early that Emerald Fennel knew exactly what she wanted this movie to be. I heard, yeah, I heard she and got, like, I, I, heard, I, I, a lot of, I was just going to say, yeah. I, heard, I heard she had a very big mood board. She's talked about that in interviews. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I cover a lot of TV, obviously, there's a lot more time and room for, you know, for changing things up. If you're shooting weekly, multiple seasons, things like that. So I hear a lot of stories about things getting changed on set week of, you know, things like that, which is, you know, there are pluses and minuses to that, obviously. But I do appreciate that she knew exactly what she wanted and she made that movie and it worked. Like that is that's not something especially first time directors get to do. No, I mean, like even some of the like the newer directors on the scene the last few years that have like, you know, done like big things like it's not. The one that a lot of the things we know them for are actually like their second movie, you know, whether mm-hmm. whether it be someone like uh, Damien Chazelle or Barry Jenkins or even Lulu Wong for The Farewell, like uh, that 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 was her second movie. It's just the first one. It's like they end up doing something that's like very small that a lot of people don't see and then they get their next thing. And for her to come out with something that like hits this big and that is like that fully realized is uh, like super, super impressive. And it's just the, the, the Spotify playlist thing is crazy. I don't think I'd actually heard that part, even though I've read a lot mm-hmm. of the interviews. But like, I mean, the, the, the I mean. I don't know. Maybe like you were a little more tuned into that strain of popular culture at the time. Like I, I did not know a lot about the Paris Hilton. Like I didn't actually either. I did not know. I, I, I did not know about her music Paris career. Song. Didn't know the. I knew that. I knew it existed. I don't think I'd ever heard it until. If you had, if you had told me that Paris Hilton had a song, I would have believed you. But like I don't remember it actually happening in the moment. So the fact that like Emerald Fennel had the presence of mind to be like, no, 
I remember that, and I want that to like be the, the 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 sound of like one of the most iconic scenes in my movie, which I think the 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 drugstore scene is certainly. I was like, oh wow, like that is just like that just shows that someone is just like playing three D chess, and I was just like mad impressed that like she actually even went there because that was the kind of attention to detail I was thinking about when I like first started talking about the started talking about that off the top and it's like i mean it's just like very very impressive that like they they just had the they had the presence of mind just to like go there all along i i guess the next thing i want to ask you though is more specifically about like some of the plottier aspects of the movie you know i just found it all like so well acted and so well executed that like i i i, I was totally in you know the not that i'm not gonna be just like you know uh, raising criticism and asking you to bat it away, though I think some people thought. I, th- I think you know it might just be that your mileage may vary with a revenge movie. I think maybe some for, mm. and I don't want to. I don't want to overstate what the detractors are saying, but I wanted to like kind of get you know other opinions because I feel like I've mostly talked to other people that were in the tank for the movie, and they were <laughs> like, uh, I, I think some people were just like kind of. I th- maybe just put off by like how far Cassie goes, or maybe thought there was like more almost. Like almost like up until the end, like women are suffering more in this movie than the men. Though I think a, a, a possible response to that might be like that's kind of the point. Uh, I'm wondering what did you ultimately think of like where this movie went after we kind of see Cassie's first couple, after we see her first couple like actual just like encounters with the men and what we've led, what, what we've ultimately learned that she's just been doing a lot of. What do you ultimately think of like the more detailed plans she hatches where she has the encounters with uh, Connie Britton, Alfred Molina, and Allison Brie? And what, ha, I don't know. Do you think it modulated well? Do you think in doing that and going there with the story, the it, it kind of modulated how we were it did a good job of modulating how we were supposed to feel about her as a character. Cause I can see why someone might just be like, all right, this is a little too far for me though. I was totally here for it. Mm-hmm. So I, and maybe this is a hot take. I don't think that this was a happy ending. Oh, like I was, I, yeah, movie, I wasn't even necessarily referring to the ending. I, that was gonna be a whole other discussion, but I, I do. Agree with that about- point. I was, I was more talking about her plan yeah. up until that point, you know, I think right. that, I think I well I I think the ending is like its whole other discussion. But I mean, if yeah. if, if, if you, right, if we'll you go right up until well, if, 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 <laughs> no, if you if you want to go there, we can actually. I'll, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go there now and say I didn't think it was supposed to be a happy ending because that's another thing that's been very controversial. Is that people have been like, mm-hmm. why would she go to the police? Because you know, I think the whole point is that like the powers that be just like didn't do right by her uh, for a lot of it. So why why are we supposed to believe the police would all of a sudden come through at the end though? You're saying you don't think we're necessarily supposed to feel triumph there, and I think I agree, and I'm curious what you mean by that. I think the whole point was that this did consume her life. Mm -hmm. And Chris Lowell, I mean, he, you know, ended up in handcuffs at his own, Al, ended up in handcuffs at his own wedding, but he still held the power over her the entire time. She gave up her entire life, her relationship, her career, to fight this battle that she could not win. The quote that I got from a lot of people when I was interviewing was Avenging Angel, hmm. which I thought was fascinating. But the whole time that I was watching, I did a rewatch of a terrible show called Revenge over the summer. Heard and of that one. I've never seen it. Emily um, Emily Van Camp. Oh, right, Marvel. right. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. I go, I, go, I go back to Brothers and Sisters with her, though. I don't think I ever finished oh, that. I, I, I don't think I finished that show, but I knew she did yeah. something. She's been, like, consistently working in TV, though. Yes. Yeah, she's on The Resident now. She's just, like, always around. I like her. <laughs> but the opening quote, uh, I can't tell you who it's from. Someone, you know, centuries ago. But right. it is, when you, when you plan for revenge, dig two graves. Hmm. 
I like that. And that was that was just in the back of my head this whole movie. And I don't want to say that I predicted the ending. I certainly didn't. But I did not see a way in which she succeeded at her goals and ended happy. And she certainly didn't. I would say I think she was prepared to die. But the fact that, like, I think, yeah, she has to go to the police. And uh, I get why people were like, why would she actually kind of put the trust in that? But I think it kind of laid the groundwork for that by uh, having the Alfred Molina character have the reaction that he had early in the movie. And it's like, okay, like, you know, one, to even get proper – one way you can look at it is, you know, to even get the – result you want from the police you have to like sacrifice everything because like they're just unfortunately not going to necessarily believe anything went wrong unless something that bad happens to someone maybe uh but two like unfortunately she had to ask a man for help and it shouldn't have to be that way but it's kind of like being like look if you want to get things done like you might have to sacrifice this much and you might also need a white man to vouch for you uh and i thought so i thought like in a way like i get why someone might be like wait why would she go to the authorities like that i think the manner in which she does it kind of says a lot in and of itself Mm mm-hmm Right. And I think she did still have to work within the system at the end yeah. because there is only the system like it's inescapable. You know, we can argue, you know, we didn't see the postscript on this movie. Chris Lowell may have very well gotten away with all this because there was no body. But yeah, I was wondering yeah. like how they would actually I mean, she, she didn't know where they were going to go burn her. Uh, like, right. so, I mean, <laughs> there, like, there were ties that she or loose ends that she couldn't actually tie up. We have no idea. I like that. You know, I don't necessarily need it tied up in a bow for it to be a complete ending for me. No, but I don't think that I don't think there was another way for this to end because she viewed the takedown as the ultimate goal. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. What? What if she had just uh, car- carved uh, Nina's initials into his forehead, and then just like, uh, and 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 then just left him handcuffed on the bed and walked out, and then the movie had ended. Like, I, I don't, th- I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that works as well, right? No, no, I don't either. And I also don't think that Cassie is a perfect character either. Intentionally, she could have, you know, we saw the Alfred Molina scene. She did, you know, turn away after she saw his redemption art. Yeah, she forgave him. Right. That was great, but it didn't slow her down or stop her. She just moved on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, I think. I mean, that that is a smart thing the movie does. And I, I went back and I watched it again yesterday and I, I had forgotten how short the Molly Shannon scene was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, I, think it, I think it does a lot of, I think it accomplishes a lot and it's very efficient and then she's on the screen for literally less than two minutes. And, uh, but I think that it, it tells you a lot and that like, this this mission that she's put that she's uh taken upon herself is one that's like not even one that nina's mom thinks is worth it and Mm -hmm. uh like at at a certain point like who are you helping and i think it's let us to believe that as much fun as we've maybe had with her to this point in the movie uh that doesn't mean necessarily that like this is like the this this is a perfect character and this is like a totally honorable and selfless thing that she's doing because at a certain point it's like she's doing it more for herself than anyone else and right i don't think it's selfless at all in fact Mm -hmm. i think she thinks it's for the right reasons i think she thinks she let nina be raped and she's trying to make up for that it's she's leaving her demons as well for sure well so how do you so i mean and i and and i kind of got at it earlier before we jumped to the end but i think we i think i i think we ended up in the right place because we're talking about now like what how we actually feel about her uh how do you think you're supposed to feel about what she does to uh allison Bree's character I think that took it way too far. Mm-hmm. I think Alison Debris' character was horrible. Mm-hmm. I think she deserved a lot. 
there are lines that we just don't cross as a society. I don't want to sound like the Joker, but <laughs> you know, there are there are ways to go about this. Alison Brie learned her lesson though, so maybe the point is that it it worked. That's what it did take for her to notice what she was dying. Right. I don't necessarily think the movie is asking you to think that everything Cassie does there is honorable. Like, I mean, some people might take it that way when it's like, it makes it very clear that all she actually did was have some guy drop her off in a hotel room, but like make enough of an impression to let her think that something might've happened and that's Mm -hmm. it. And it's like, okay, so we know that she actually didn't like, you know, pay someone to like assault her, uh, assault this woman. So uh, Mm -hmm. does that, does that make it okay? And I think, I think the movie does a good enough job of like kind of leaving it ambiguous. I don't think it's coming down on the side of like, yes, that's a, a totally okay thing to do just because she didn't actually uh, get this guy to do anything bad to her. I think mm-hmm. it's like they were led to believe that like, all right, wow, like she maybe went too far and it plants that seed in your head. And uh, but yes, like it might be a lesson she needed to learn. But at the same time, I just because that's the case, I don't think we're like led to believe that Cassie is like totally, totally in the right and cool. Mm-hmm. And also, who made Cassie the arbiter of who is good and who is bad? Mm-hmm. You know, she's this random med school dropout who works at a coffee shop. You know, who who was who gave her the right as well? She took it upon herself to become this avenging angel. Yeah, and 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 I, and I, I kind of get it because, well, I mean. Again, it's it's obviously not okay that she like kind of uh, <laughs> kidnaps Connie Britton's daughter, uh, but. Who among us? <laughs> I mean, like I, I mean, who who wouldn't want to hang out with Connie Britton? Uh, but they, uh, I, 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 I do think it's funny how she tells Connie Britton off at the end. This is like your daughter's obviously not that smart. Like she just gave me her phone and got in the car with a stranger. Like it's funny though. At the same time, I'm like, I think this is darkly funny. I'm not like, yeah, you go girl necessarily. And I, I get that maybe some people like I, I understand why it would strike someone that way. But it didn't strike me that way. I felt like I could laugh at this while at the same time not endorse the behavior. Yeah, I think that's how I felt. It was I would laugh and then I'd go, oh, God. Like it was like that split second of enjoyment and then you realize how wrong it all is. But I also don't blame her for any of it. Like that's the thing. Like there are so many moments in my life that I just like would love to just blow it all up like she does. Not to the extent that she does necessarily, but that rage that she feels, I think a lot of women understand that but we're not allowed to feel like that or express that and she does so it's a little cathartic to watch yeah you know and this whole strain of the movie we're talking about where she's uh hatching all these schemes it's kind of like it it, it's kind of intertwined along with the relationship she has with ryan because uh she only kind of stops it when she like starts like getting more serious with him and picks it back up when things go south and so I want to ask you now about Bo Burnham and uh, what was your relationship with, like with him prior to this movie and what did you think of just uh, Emerald Fennell's inspired choice to be like, you're going to play opposite Oscar-nominated actress Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham? <laughs> so I never saw eighth grade. I saw it, but I, I only really knew him from the eighth grade press tour, which was extremely charming. <laughs> My Bo Burnham lived experience is musician Bo Burnham. Which has just gotten completely buried by everything. So he is he is writing the songs to that new Sesame Street movie. I don't know if you saw that, but no, I missed that. That's yeah, amazing. he got hired to like write the songs for like the live action Sesame Street movie that's coming out. I don't even know if he's writing the screenplay, but he's writing the songs. So that's but, fantastic. But 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 I but, I, but I know he like hit it big first with his YouTubing, right? And I never even knew him from that. There, 
it's hard to talk about. It is wildly offensive. It is wildly inappropriate. It's also fantastic. Oh, really? I did not see. Like, I've literally, even though I like became way more familiar with him, like when eighth grade came out, I never actually took it upon myself to go back and watch his videos. And I just knew what his persona was like when he's doing all these interviews with this with this nice thirteen year old girl that starred in his movie. So I had no idea that like he actually was like. I, I, I knew he did videos. I just assumed they were kind of wholesome. No, no, no. <laughs> I like, I like genuinely like you and I have known each other for years. So I would not feel comfortable like reciting these lyrics to you. Oh, geez. Wildly inappropriate at a time. Like I was, I just looked it up. Like 2009 was like the beginning of this. Hmm. Interesting. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go back and watch, I'll, I'll go back and w- w- check a couple of them out after we're done recording. Yeah. <laughs> um, I highly encourage new math. Um, I mean, it's just just go through. So, the so, so that so if you only knew him as a guy that sang filthy songs on YouTube, I don't know if that makes it a harder or easier uh, uh, bridge to get get across to like then see him as the lead in a movie opposite Carrie Mulligan playing this guy that like. Quite frankly, I'll say it was. I thought it was a really compelling choice because, I mean, just knowing what the vibe is of this movie and what the subject matter is, regardless of what I knew about him beforehand, I'm like waiting for another shoe to drop the whole time. Yeah. Uh, he has like that like, just like off look, like it's like something slimy about him. Like I felt, and I don't know how much of this is in hindsight because obviously we know it all goes wrong. But like, you feel like he was putting on an act of the nice guy. Like, he was acting and looking and behaving as he thought he should. I, yeah, well, I almost thought there was, like, two levels of, like, self-awareness to it there. Not only that, but almost, like, he was aware of the fact that he might be seen as doing that. So he had to, like, comment on it, too, at a, at a, at a couple different yeah. points in a way. So, like, yeah, so you, you just kind of wonder if there's more going on under the surface. Because at the same time, he's also is kind of charming and, like, gets off, like, a decent amount of funny jokes in the movie, too. And it's, like, this guy, like, you just know that this movie can't have, like... Like, even if it ends in a happy ending for Cassie, it's not just going to be, like, straight through. They're just going to end up happy together. Like, you just know that's not going to be the case. So it is funny trying to, like, see if there's any cracks in his facade or what's there. Uh, and, like, it, it obviously more comes from, like, her finding that video. But it's, like, I don't know. I just thought it, I just found it fascinating because, like, I, looked, I went back and, again, I hadn't watched those videos. I, mm-hmm. I, I guess I went back and looked at his IMDb and, like, in my head he had, like, done more acting. Like, I mean, I saw him on that press tour. And he it's had like, that one show, Zach Stone, something, or, yeah. Something. I don't think it was a lot. He, I, he had a, a cameo in uh, The Big Sick, uh, where, mm-hmm. like, uh, he's, like, one of the comedians Kumail is talking toward to at the beginning. And, like, I guess a small part in Funny People way back in 2009. I don't know how he finagled his way in there, because that seemed like that was, like, I just, and I don't, I've seen that movie, but it had been a long time, so I don't <laughs> really remember what it was. It must have been small. And, and like, that was it. So uh, Emerald Fennel is like, I'm going to go get Carrie Mulligan, like this basically a classically trained actress who's been nominated for an Oscar and should probably have should probably have should have probably had more than one Oscar before the one she got nominated for a couple of days ago. And like is just like a very serious actress and uh, is like, I'm going to go get this guy that has almost no acting experience and that's going to be my my second person after her. And I was just like blown away by that decision once I saw how little experience he actually had as an actor, and and pretty impressive. Like I, I'm not sure how off we're supposed to feel he is, like in the way you said he's a little off, but I think that's fine. And I think what what he did, it was very impressive in holding his own. Mm-hmm. I do too. I was very impressed. Um, again, I was going back to my notes, and I I asked him how it got cast. I did not transcribe it. It's hmm. in my. You know, recorder somewhere yeah. oh. but if i recall correctly it was just a very you know generic casting call and his agent just sent him the script and she picked him 
I don't know what the casting call was for. You know, <laughs> I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I don't know if it was slightly off. Nice guy. <laughs> but I do think, I mean, she seriously nailed every single casting and it's remarkable. I don't know, you know who her casting director was. I'm sure we could look that up. But Someone the, that really the, follows American sitcoms. Yeah, the vision that Emerald Fell and Fennel came into this with, it just, it worked. And I also know that she was also really hands-on on set. Mm. And pregnant on I'll, set, right? <laughs> they filmed this in 23 days. Jeez. Yeah, this was a, an extremely quick turnaround. Yeah, for, for those that don't have a great concept of that, that's even, that's even faster than an independent movie. But but you know, no yeah I mean it is really impressive that like they 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 fit all that in and I was I was just very impressed with the, with the Bo Burnham choice and I thought it was like I mean it was a very fitting way that like he ultimately like you know he he the the way he ultimately met his demise it felt like kind of true to the true to this movie and that like I just think that I and I think this ties into that drugstore scene actually in that like. He is just like that charming, and I mm-hmm. think that like the, the whole stars are blind thing. It's really cute, and it's a, I think it's even shorter than you realize when you go back and watch it. But the whole sequence where they're actually like, quote unquote, like having the, the relationship ex- happens, <laughs> like it's not that long. It's, but it's that like, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all part of the same montage, and I'm like normally like I'm not. That's like one of my pet peeves. And I mean, anyone that listens to the podcast has heard me give a spiel about how I hate when any kind of rom com reduces like the falling in love part to just a montage as opposed to like actual conversation. They, you see them having like some real conversations in this movie to the point where like I was pretty invested in them. So mm-hmm. I think it's pretty brilliant that it gets to the point. Part of it being that really awesome, fun, memorable drugstore stars stars are blind scene. Like it gets through all of that, and you're like really, really rooting for them. And so it's all the more effective when like she pulls the rug out from under all of that. And it's like, I mean, obviously, like we've said, like she had a very clear vision for this movie, and I think had a, obviously had a, a pretty clear vision that this character was gonna like break her heart and uh, to some extent break the audience's heart. And it's like almost more devastating than the ending in a certain way because you know if like uh, if if he doesn't break your heart, then like you know there has to be a movie but like then she wouldn't have ended up where she did if like that doesn't happen and you're rooting for that guy at that point so it's like so very well done actually something and i'm gonna turn this around and ask you a question this is something yeah. i thought about a lot was had the videotape and the subsequent rest of the movie happened was that relationship real because we saw it was mostly surface level like you said we saw a quick montage you know was that relationship enough to turn Cassie's life around and make her realize there was more than a revenge. Uh, well, I, I think we're led to believe that it would have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? Like, not that like her life would have been all hunky dory from that far out, but I think that's how we're supposed to take it. Is that like uh, she finally met a guy that she thinks kind of like you know uh, actually like help her not like help her like actually regain some faith in humanity because she's obviously lost so much of it, not just from potential. Uh, guys that are in her demographic that could be romantic partners but just from other people and i think mm-hmm. we're led to believe that she that she actually saw a lot of value in this guy and i actually thought like hey this could be the one i think you know when, I, when I, the first time i watched it i was watching with two friends of mine um my, my friend adam and his fiance kayla and i was wondering what to make of that scene where they're on their first date and mm. he, he like happens to like walk up walk up on his apartment and is like oh this is awkward this is my apartment do you want to come in and she's like Oh, sure. And then he's like, oh, no, that's not the nice guy thing to do. I shouldn't do that. And then she gets really upset and walks away. So I was like, 
I was like a little perplexed about what to exactly make of that scene to begin with. And I think mm-hmm. what we kind of settled on was that like she kind of has some expectation of like how all guys are going to be. And even at that point, she's thinking he might be different. And then he's whether or not he acts, he purposely led her to his apartment or not, or just actually accidentally happened to walk upon it. It doesn't really matter. What, the appearance of it is enough to make her think, oh, this guy's also a sleaze bag. And I just kind of think all guys are sleaze bags. So the fact that like she gives him another shot and they get to another point where she's actually able to like uh open up to it makes me think that like oh she's now like she had some way in which she thought all guys were and she eventually got to a point where she legit thought this guy was different who knows if that relationship's gonna last but i think she like finally bought in and and i bought that she had let her guard down because mm-hmm. i saw how that first scene made me realize how how just how high her guard was up even maybe more so than the scenes where she was uh doing the honeypot thing Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I want to be very clear. Yeah. And as we're talking about this, I'm thinking more, and I'm getting a little annoyed because I, again, I agree with you. But this idea that falling in love was going to change her whole perspective on, you know, the one nice guy, the one actually nice guy, was enough to prove that humanity's not all bad. You know, he well, was he he was supposed to be the exception to the rule, not breaking the rule. Oh, a hundred percent. Like I think, like I think it could have set her life on a different path. But I, I think that, like, I would like to think that, like, it's it wasn't going to change her perception of the world either. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the fact that, like, the one good thing she thought she'd found wasn't what she thought. I did buy that that would set her off because of everything we had seen to that point. And I just think my, my whole point being, I think they like between Bo Burnham's performance and all the choices Emerald Fennel made in uh, selling and how to sell that relationship uh, made me totally just buy that she would buy in herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cassie would. And then it's like, Oh wow, this, this kind of would really just uh, set her off when it ultimately mm-hmm. did. You know, I also think she was play acting to a certain point. We see her change her dress. And, you know, she does her hair differently. She's also beginning to act like she thinks a proper girlfriend is supposed to act. They're both acting how they think they're supposed to act and then convincing themselves that it's real. And, and maybe it becomes real. You know, that's, sometimes that's just how it goes. Yeah, and potentially, like, becoming an adult and moving out of her house. Uh, uh, which, <laughs> you know. I mean... Uh, I mean I think I watched that within like a day of my 30th birthday. And so not that I live at home with my parents, but like when they were just like yelling at her about like not having her life figured out and not having a, at 30 years old, I was like, oh man, this is like, this is getting to be a bit much right here. Uh, given that like my birthday is like January 22nd, which was in like, uh, uh within like a few days of like when this movie became available on VOD. So, uh, yeah, it, it was like, almost it, it, it was like, you know, like, okay, g- let her, let her give her a little time. You know, 30s not that old. Uh, it might be old to be living at home though. Um, uh, trying to, trying to think if there's anything else, uh, were there, were there any other corners of this movie we didn't discuss yet that you wanted to, uh, that you want to talk about? I did really appreciate that we also got the Connie Britton, Alison Brie part of it, mm-hmm. that it wasn't just the bro bystanders. Well, yeah. So that was the other, I guess that, I'm glad you did mention that again. Cause we, we mentioned those, but like, again, <laughs> yeah, one, we cr- that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one criticism I did see was that some people thought that like, Hey, this is like almost like, well, yes, like women should like not look the other way when they have the power to do something. Some people almost thought the movie was like harder on its female characters than its male characters in a way. Did it, did that, did it strike you that way at all? Or were you like, I don't think yeah. so. Mm-hmm. I think I hadn't seen that criticism. So I'm thinking it as I talk. I don't think that's true, but I can also understand being more disappointed in Alison Brie and Connie Britton, because the women are supposed to be different. I, you know, I'm supposed to know how it feels, so I'm supposed to be more supportive and better at that situation. Especially if you're in a position of authority. 
Right. Right. Where's, you know, I'm, you know, Connie Brittany is supposed to defend her. You can go in, if there's a male, you know, male dean. Yeah, most women are going to go, okay, well, this just isn't going to happen now. The assumption, and it's a stereotype because there is no reason that women are better at this than men, but that a woman is supposed to get it and is supposed to help. And it was the entire system that failed Nina. And that included women. And I do think that that was an important message. It's not just sleazy guys. It's an entire system and culture. Hmm. Yeah, no, I've, yeah, I mean, I would agree. And it's, you know, I think, I think it's kind of a good point where it's like, yeah, it, it, it should, it shouldn't, it should, it definitely shouldn't let them off the hook. But I think it's also a good message that like, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes easier to just, you know, look, cause we're obviously the Connie Britton character has like achieved a lot in life. Like she has a high up position at a med school, the Allison Brie character. I think, I think we're told that she quit being a doctor to raise a family but the fact is like she she married well enough to be able to do that like life worked out well for them and the idea being like uh it's sometimes obviously based on where these women are in life uh it might pay it it might just it might be easier just to look the other way and i think the Mm -hmm. movie makes it clear that like that's 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 not okay and yeah obviously the onus should fall more on men to like make sure stuff like this doesn't happen. But at the same time, like uh, it's not going to cost you your spot in med school, Allison Bree, if like you help report something, you know, like it's, you no, but look, it also would have made it harder. She would have lost her entire friend group mm-hmm. and that's, you know, yeah, so I'm not defending Allison Bree certainly, but there are more con. Look, there were going to be more consequences for the women in that situation than the men, which is, yeah, which is really messed up. <laughs> and uh yeah and I, I i kind of also just like i i think it's also you, you know we talked about the casting of the men but i think it's also pretty ingenious casting to, for those two characters as well you know i don't know if there's there's probably few i can probably count on one hand how many uh characters there are with fewer flaws in tv over the last 20 years than tammy taylor uh, mm-hmm. and she actually played a guidance counselor on friday night lights and uh and you know, ended up like being a. I th- the, the end of that series is when she goes to be some sort of administrator at an Ivy League school. Now it's a bit of a point of a contention for some people that they're like, how did she go from just being a high school guidance counselor to being one of one of the like a what it's supposed to be like an Ivy League college? Regardless, that's the job she ends up in, and she's like a perfect, amazing person of a character. And here it's like she's having like a, a similar job, but just like being a not great person. And uh, <laughs> Allison Brie like is in her own way like honestly maybe my favorite television actress of the last 20 years and and one of the best because of just she's literally done everything like comedy drama and everything in between and like is usually like pretty likable in almost everything has mostly played likable people you know uh flawed people in some instances but usually pretty likable so uh i don't think i've ever seen her do anything this unlikable oddly enough like she had like two big things come out around the same time she was in happiest season the uh the, the kristen stewart uh uh, rom-com and like she was like the bitchy sister so i saw her play like, two unlikable people like in pretty close proximity after like not having done that for a long time but having watched like all four of her other television shows she's known for where she does play rather likable so it's in another way it's kind of cool that like not only upending the nice guy expectation but also just like pluck these television actresses that have like done things that like we all like are just known for like being super likable and all of a sudden it's like oh hey like you know these people that can just put on good faces in real life like they could also be capable of rather harmful behavior Mm -hmm. 
And it was self-preservation for both of Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. And that's, again, it's not a defense, but I do get it. Yeah, it's complex. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I've got one more question for you. Because yeah, I, 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 yes, I like when people turn it on me, so whatever you want. <laughs> this is my job. This is, this mm-hmm. is the part I'm good at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of con- the, the big controversy over this movie was whether Carrie Mulligan was hot enough for the role. Okay, well, I, I thought about this. I didn't know if I wanted to ask you about it because you're the one that actually works in television journalism. So I, but I, I, that felt like it had been talked about a lot, so I wasn't going to go there unless you wanted to go there. Are, are you are you asking if I if I, if I agree with the variety yeah. or if, if I agree with the variety writer if it should have been Margot Robbie instead of her? Yeah. What is what is your take on that situation? <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's that's like a super complex question because there's like layers and layers to that story. Uh, mm-hmm. One, right? I mean, uh, we don't need to go into whole journalism ethics. Oh well, part no, of it. I, I would have been happy to go there too. And that, like, I think oh. that, like, I mean, I I I I, I think for, I think for, I think variety probably made it a lot worse by how they handled it. Uh, though, I even if I don't agree with what the writer said, but I mean. I don't think that that review and I went back and read it and I at the time I was like look well one like I don't think no questioning her level of attractiveness and whether or not she could pull off this movie is I think that's like part of I think that's also like obviously very off base but I mean as far as like you know whether or not like God, there's like so many ways to answer this question. Like, I, I I'm, not, I'm not afraid to answer it, but my mind is going in like ten different places because, like, it's like it's like a very complex thing. For the, for those who don't know, I should have explained it before. A uh, variety writer like got in a little bit of hot water because he implied in a review that because Margot Robbie is a producer on this movie, it's not hard to envision a one in what she could have done, and it's almost hard to imagine uh, someone like Carrie Mulligan pulling this off. And like, thus everyone thought he was implying that Carrie Mulligan wasn't hot enough and that it should have been Margot Robbie in the role. If you want to actually like entertain his discussion which i think is a stupid one on face value uh i face value like no i don't think the level of attractiveness really matters as to who could pull off a ruse like this i mean mm-hmm. i think women of all different levels of attractiveness can be a be a victim of something like this and i hell i think it in a way it almost make might make her more of a target if she's not someone like carrie like that it looks like margot ruby you know who knows mm-hmm. maybe, maybe someone maybe maybe a guy is like less afraid to approach someone that doesn't look like Margot Robbie and yeah, is more, more attainable. Right. Like, like almost might make her more of an easy target for someone like that's has as insidious of intentions as some of these seemingly nice guys in the, in the movie. And they see themselves as someone that can just like help out someone like that. Whereas who knows, maybe if they look exactly like a supermodel, they're not even going to like feel comfortable approaching them in the first place. So I think there's something to that, which like that, if you want to talk about it on that level, that just like, that makes the reviewer's point that great critics point a little off to begin with, if if you understand what I'm saying in that regard, but like to like, uh, beyond that, like, I just thought like, it was like a, it was just like a again i think it was just like a silly sentiment if even if you beyond just like uh the level of attractiveness like i just don't think you like needed to go there in the first place and talking about it and i was like it never even occurred to me as i was watching it i guess is my is my short answer but like i i didn't i didn't agree with the sentiment and i didn't really agree with how he wrote it but like i don't think he really explained where he was coming from uh when he wrote it to begin with because even if because i didn't i don't even think he outright and right said it like as a exact level of attractiveness type thing i think that's where people thought he was implying and maybe that was where he was going with it but if he was trying to make a larger point about just their pure acting capabilities i certainly don't think that makes any sense either because i think carrie mulligan is a one she's a different i mean i think she's just she's just as good of an actress as margot ruby who i also think is a really great actress so mm-hmm. i just I, I didn't think it made sense on multiple whether you're talking about level of attractiveness or what someone's capable of within a performance itself i just don't think i don't i don't i don't think that point made sense in either way and uh and 
at the same time, like I thought that like I don't think that guy should have lost his job either, though. I just think he he wrote poorly, you know. Right. I mean, yes, on a journalism level, which, you know, you and I can both talk about that. I think it was handled really poorly. There was no reason. I went and found the quote, actually. I'm just going to read it. Yeah. Mulligan, a fine actor, seems a bit of an odd choice as this admittedly many layered apparent femme fatale. Margot Robbie is a producer here and one can perhaps too easily imagine the role might might once have been intended for her. Whereas with this star, Cassie picks her pick up gear like bad drag even her long blonde hair seems to put on so it was certainly more it's probably unnecessary well right but 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 also it's like that was like we talked about emerald fennel's intent in this movie and Mm -hmm. how she had like a very clear idea of everywhere she wanted to go and everything she was doing emerald fennel has an on-screen role in this movie she plays (laughs) a blowjob lips makeup tutorial actress or something like that (laughs) And right. is actually on there. So it's like that's even embedded in the movie itself where she is like trying to like put on a very specific type of appearance, which is the kind mm-hmm. of thing that like the writers seem to think was like almost like not intentional in a way and like just didn't fit with the character. And it's like, no, this character is like trying to like put off a very certain type of appearance. And it's not right. necessarily the supposed whole to be. Point was she was creating an image of mm-hmm. what she thought men wanted reflected back. And she wasn't wrong. Right, correct. Right, so I mean, I, I don't know if I answered your question as directly as you wanted to, or if, if I went where you want, wanted to with that, because I know it's it's yeah, no, it's, it's a hard thing to talk about it. On your takes on the whole thing, because I thought it was baffling. I thought just up and down the line, the entire thing was baffling. I think Carrie Mulligan's reaction to it was great. You know, don't read your reviews. That's good, you know, advice for everyone. But but but, 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 but but she didn't take the advice. Like she or did someone point it out? To her? I forgot how she talked about it. I know she kind of like it came up in some profile i don't remember what but she oh. said that she had read the review and seen it right so she didn't take the advice uh, that a lot of people might give their times, actors new york times profile she oh. she said that she had seen it yeah so i mean like i think I, but i think the whole point was you know the argument that carrie mulligan wasn't hot enough for this role just perpetuates the whole idea that everything is about men Oh well, yeah. That well, didn't the guy? Didn't the reviewer say he's gay? Not that like that makes it any better or worse. The point he made. Oh, I can't. I, I, that might that might be right. I don't remember. Okay. okay. Yeah, I, um, I I couldn't remember. But like, yeah, I mean, the, yeah. But the, the fact is, we're either either way. Like, it, it you know, th- that a man is a so man. What is a rape right. victim supposed to look like? Right. That, like, that, we, that, are we going to play that? I don't want to play that game. Certainly. Yeah. That, <laughs> I think that, that's a whole different conversation. Right. That that a man is passing judgment in that way on this movie, like. I think it, yeah, I think it almost speaks to like that. It is like almost projecting a male gaze on it beyond the fa- beyond a male reviewer. If you're like passing judgment on like mm-hmm. the acting, the casting choice in and of itself of someone who everyone agrees is like a very, very, very good actress. So it's like right. you know, it's weird that like if someone's putting themselves in that position of like being the judge of the, what the physical appearance of that character should be when like i mean it, it, it could be it literally could have been played by almost any actress that's as good of an actress mm-hmm. as carrie mulligan regardless of the right. look and i think it was right. so i think it would still work as a movie you know even if it's yeah. someone that's like not even conventionally attractive to the extent carrie mulligan is i still think it works as a movie like because mm-hmm. any like we said before like anyone of any look could be taken advantage of you know mm-hmm. and look i don't think any man should have walked out of this movie like feeling okay about themselves. I don't think most women should have either. But like you weren't supposed to leave this movie going, that was fun. I had like an enjoyable experience here. Like I think you were supposed to leave feeling bad about yourself. I did. 
I felt bad about myself. I felt I hated everyone I've ever met in my life. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that that's, the, I mean, again, that goes back to kind of what I was saying at the beginning is that I think it takes aim at like everyone. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that's most impressive about it. I don't know if I just like came out feeling bad about myself, but I certainly came out looking inward. And that's pro- that's a nicer way to put it. Because I, cause, I mean, it, it's certainly like, it's just like, wow, like I know I've probably been in a situation like that. And I know I, I can honestly say I haven't been the one to take advantage of someone like that, but I've definitely had a friend say I should have done something like that. And like, I, I, I've been the one to be like, yeah, man, like I didn't go there. It didn't feel comfortable. Like that girl, like was in a different state than me as far as the amount of alcohol we consume. And I've had friends like make comments to me, like you shouldn't, wow. Like you, you totally blew it, you know, right. Right. I've, I've been in that situation. So my head went to those instances. I, I was still at the same time. I'm like, I got a, I was in a fraternity for four years. I've uh, been in, I, I've, I was at other parties for, because th- I mean, I was a law student. So I was on college campuses for seven years. So, I mean, I was like thinking back to like I got I'm sure I've been like the bystander at some point have I been like oh my god so like I'm thinking about that even if like I said the more specific example was that you blew it kind of thing where I've had other people say inappropriate things to me I was like I had to have like I had to have probably screwed up in that way that like the, the Ryan did at some point or maybe not as explicitly as Ryan did at some point where you're mm-hmm. straight up like laughing at a rape happening in front of your face but right. I maybe I was too passive in some other instance where I didn't speak up when I should have and I think everyone can probably think of a point at where in their life where that happened to them mm-hmm. right and I think that's the point point. and I think you are supposed to reconsider your past experiences and how you behave moving forward and I think that's the mark of a good movie is that it does change how you view the world like maybe that's too cheesy no 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 no. But, i totally agree i mean i i mean i think that's a that's like a great way to like measure if a movie really does that and uh you know people always ask me like what's my favorite movie because they think i'm like a they, they just think i'm a big movie guy and my response is that's like asking me to pick a favorite child so i give them a top five and like for the longest time my my top five favorite movies for the longest time were always like oceans 11 uh, short, short-term 12, Network, Pulp Fiction, and The Shawshank Redemption. And like, <laughs> I, I stopped giving The Shawshank Redemption last year because it's just like, I mean, I haven't felt the need to rewatch that movie. I guess it's it's a pretty big dad movie, though I was like very into it for a while. <laughs> and but like, I just like, it's it's long and I just I hadn't felt compelled to rewatch it. And I think rewatching is like a pretty, uh, it, the, the desire to rewatch something speaks to like, speaks to a lot I think and mm-hmm. I started telling them that do the right thing was in my top five movies of all time mm-hmm. and I think honestly think do the right thing kind of changed the way I saw the world too and I just like I went back and watched it last year and it held up and I was like I I just think thinking about it, it's like wow if, if a movie can enter, entertain you as much as something like that does and like do the right thing certainly doesn't have a happy ending uh, mm-hmm. and I was like, if it, but if it can entertain you as much as something like do the right thing does or something like promising young woman does, but make you really, really think, then I think you've like achieved a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't think every movie needs to do that. I've had this conversation certainly about TV. One of my favorite movies has never been kissed. Like mm-hmm. there are no deep messages to never been kissed and it doesn't need to be. It's fine. My, one of my top but, five, one of my top five movies of 2015 was magic. Mike XXL, you know, <laughs> it, you it, 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 it depends what you're going for. Right. Not everything has to be this contemplative, life-changing movie, mm-hmm. but Promising Young Woman was, and it did it well. But last question before we finish up. Uh, mm-hmm. You covered the Oscar nominations a little bit earlier this week. I know you haven't watched all the movies. Have you studied the awards landscape enough to have opinions on which ones you think this movie could win or should win? I mean, I covered the Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. You know, Nomadland seems to be a favorite. I've not seen it. Um, you know, we talked about at the beginning. I'm not a movie person. <laughs> Promising Young Woman and Judas and the Black Messiah, I think, are the only movies I've watched in like a year. Mm. I just, 
it's not even that I because I watch it is because I watch too much TV, but like the thought of like a two hour movie just terrifies me. Can do six is, hours. It is, well, it's it's funny how like different people are daunted are daunted by different yeah. things. Yeah, but no, the thought of sitting down for a two hour movie like it just is a non you know, not gonna happen for me. But gotcha. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you I'm glad you decided to uh, at least. Uh, uh, venture into this one because I I, <laughs> I I I enjoy talking about it. Uh, but I, I I won't make you uh, put on your awards pundit hat then yourself though. But I, what I what I what I will say is that like and I, I, it does seem like and I'm I'm cheering for it. It does seem like th- this movie has a good chance of uh, Carrie Mulligan winning Best Actress though. Mm-hmm. Those awards have been all over the place though. Again, as I've, I don't even know if we actually talk that much about her performance, which is weird. I think we talk more about the guys' performances. Uh, yeah. But like I, I think we both agree like it would be well deserving. It's a it's a very very bold performance that goes to a lot of different places, but you know she gets to be legitimately funny herself and not just mm-hmm. Ryan. And I think that was one of the things that stood out to me about it. Also, is that like like she goes like Bo Burnham is a comedian, and in the same way, it's impressive that he goes toe to toe with her, the classically trained dramatic actress. Like she gets off jokes too, and is like legitimately funny. It's darkly funny when she's like telling off uh, Christopher Mintz Platts uh, mm-hmm. or Adam Brody, but like it's funny though. And that she's able to like come across that way when I don't think she'd really ever done anything I'd consider comedic before, as far no. as I can think of in her career. I think of the best actress list, I think Carrie Mulligan showed us something new more than the rest of the group. I mean, Andre Day, we haven't seen. She, yeah, she'd literally never been in a movie before. So yes, but I get what right. you're saying. <laughs> but I think you know we know what Viola Davis can do. We know what Frances McDormand can do. I think Vanessa Kirby's award run is just ruined by Shia LaBeouf, unfortunately. But even we knew she could play sorrow and grief from the crown. Not to the level she does in Beautiful Woman, but... What do you mean? Those royals have terrible things happen to them, you know? <laughs> Those poor, poor bastards. They have, they have it so rough in life. <laughs> right. But Carrie Mulligan, I think, showed both range internally and also range that we hadn't seen in her career. Yeah, and the other thing I think you can speak to uh, with respect to this movie, because we talked about it a little bit earlier today, was that, like, I mean, I, th- I feel like... Emma Fennell should win the original screenplay Oscar. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a chance Aaron Sorkin wins it. And uh, even regardless, uh, even setting aside the fact that like he has his own Aaron Sorkinisms that he reuses, <laughs> that we talked about earlier that you can go see in compilations on Twitter and YouTube. I, I just think it's a. I think and I like I like the trial of Chicago Seven, but I, it's just like because of everything Kate and I have talked about, this is just like for the original screenplay Oscar as far as having an original vision, like, I, I don't know how you don't reward this movie when, yeah, I, I don't want to take away from uh, Aaron Sorkin necessarily, but I just think it's a more impressive feat where it's like he had a, he basically had a document already right there to go off of with the trial and then re- and then recycled a bunch of his old lines on, th- on top of that. Like, it, it just seems like if you're going to give that award to someone and I'm, I'm, I'm not coming off, like, I think, well, I think, now I'm forgetting a couple of the other nominees, but like it's really between the two of them at this point. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it just feels like this movie is like the most original movie of the year, you know? Yeah. I did actually see Chicago 7. I will um, uh, okay. amend that. Yeah. I liked it. I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan. Yeah. But, right, if we're talking original screenplay, he had an entire history. Like, it, was, it wasn't original. He wrote the words, but it was written for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh-huh. I'm sure he had, he had like trial transcripts you know <laughs> right i mean he could write <laughs> so uh, i so, think right in terms so d- of actual originality yeah that's actually a really strong category in uh uh original screenplay judas and the black messiah which i really liked a lot 
Uh, it's also both that and Promising Young Woman are in my top ten movies of the year. Though, like I, I would tend to probably lean towards a Promising Young Woman on that again. Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, incredible, incredible acting. Though I think some of the most powerful stuff in that is probably taken from some real Fred Hampton speeches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like again, that, that that alone wouldn't be enough to like knock it in a weaker category in a in a weaker group of nominees. Though again, I just think that like I, I think everything that Promising Young Woman does on the whole is just like more impressive. I really like Sound of Metal and Minari too. Like that is actually a great category. Uh, Trial of Chicago 7 might be my least favorite of those five movies, and I like all five of those movies. But yeah, it, it's that. And, you know, Best Picture, like, I, feel, I feel like some people have thought that like uh, this has as much uh, momentum as anything after Nomadland. So you never you never know. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I would probably rank this above Nomadland, though I really like Nomadland too. And I'll be curious to hear what you think if you end up watching it. But uh, mm-hmm. th- there, there's this added thing where just a, a day before we're recording this uh, – Promising Young Woman uh, dropped its price $14 on demand. So who knows? Maybe it gets a little bit of an extra surge, and that'd be it'd be kind of crazy if a movie like this won Best Picture. I'm not counting on it. Nomadland is the heavy favorite, but it would it would just be something to see if like a movie like this, who I think as we were talking about maybe before we started recording, like five years ago, like movies like this wouldn't get nominated at the Oscars. So mm-hmm. it shows a lot about where the Academy is, and it's just it would be really cool if it even won any Oscars for a movie that just like as crazy and has this look and is this like, is this different from your typical Oscar fair? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think, look, overall, if we want to do big picture, I think a lot of the movies that have been nominated for the Oscars this year weren't even getting made 10 years ago. And I think that says a lot. And I had conversations with friends recently about, you know, the wave of these, you know, these big black cast movies with Ma Rainey, Judas and the Black Messiah. And yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when would a, 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 a major movie studio give like someone twenty five million dollars to make a movie about Black Panthers? Like that doesn't. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, even one night, one night in Miami, you know, Regina King just gets to do whatever she wanted with this fantastic right. cast. And, and even though it's a fairly white movie, Aaron Sorkin had been trying for like fifteen years to get it made, mm-hmm. and now he finally got it made. You know. Right. You know, we can talk. We could do a whole, you know, more six, six more six more hours mm-hmm. of this podcast about the streaming services and the, you know, the influx marketplace. Mm -hmm. But I do think that we are in an era where if you have a good movie, you can get it made. And I think that's incredible. And I think nominations and awards for these movies is only going to strengthen that idea. Yeah. Very well said. And I think, uh, promising woman is is just like a very good representation of everything we just mentioned over the last two minutes. And again, we, we, we kind of told everyone up top that we were going to spoil it. So I don't really expect anyone to still be listening that hasn't watched it, but, uh, at least that's one, one new piece of information for you to tell all your friends who haven't seen it is that they can rent it for five 99 now. And if they're vaccinated, go see it in a theater if they can. Cause, uh, that I, I just think that I want this movie to make as much money as it can. Uh, Kate, one thing we actually normally do on the podcast before we sign off is we, we have people make recommendations for other things they've been watching recently. You've already talked about basically – you've already named all the movies you've seen in the last 12 months. But uh, Yeah, yeah. But like we, we also say like you can do TV. You can recommend books, whatever. So I know you've watched a lot of TV, probably stuff that other people haven't even seen yet. Is there, any, is there anything else you've been watching recently that you would recommend people check out even if it's something they're going to have to maybe check out in the next month or something if it hasn't come out yet? Yes, I can't talk much about it. Yeah, all spoilers. Yeah, don't break um, don't break any embargoes on behalf of our little our little small operation here. But anything you want people to keep an eye out for. That's all we're asking. It's called Made for Love. It's an HBO Max show. It comes out April first, so you only got like two weeks. Hmm. Uh, it's Kristen Malati, Billy Magnuson, and Ray Romano. I've seen the first three episodes. I can't spoil anything. It is genuinely one of the most bonkers shows 
I've seen in a while. Okay. And I think it's going to be really fun. I also just finished watching Claws, which are the first three seasons at least. Isn't that set is in Florida? Fast. It is It is very Florida. You would appreciate it. Mm. It's like Hialeah. Okay, for some reason I thought it was maybe the west coast of Florida. So that's interesting. It's yeah. I, I, I didn't I didn't I did not realize it was like a uh, it was a southeast Florida show. It is. It is wild. It is mm. violent. It is ridiculous. It is crass. It was so much fun. All right, that makes that intrigues me a little bit since I am a since I am a South Florida resident uh, myself. Uh, but I I appreciate the made in the the made for love recommendation. I am very in on Christian Miliata right now. Uh, one thing I will I know you only have so much time in your hands, and you probably have people recommend stuff to you all the time. I would watch Palm Springs if I were you, and I would want to hear it what you thought on, about it. On my Hulu to do list, it's like it is sitting there. It was it was very it was very upsetting to me that with like as many slots as they have at the Oscar at the Golden Globes with the comedy category, that Chris Miliati did not get an Oscar nomination for or a Golden Globe nomination for best actress in a comedy or musical. Uh, I mean, I, I would not have been mad if she had gotten a best actress nomination at the Oscars, but they nominated Andy Samberg, who I like in that movie, but is like uh, the, the giving the second best performance in that movie. Uh, you could, to to her and like I she was just like really impressive in it so to hear like i'm not asking you to tell me anything more than you can about made for love but the year she's doing something bonkers is pretty cool because i was very impressed with her range in uh palm springs uh mm-hmm. as far as anything uh i myself would recommend I-, I watched the father last weekend and i i would say you know a lot of people were like you know don't want to go see the movie about someone that's alzheimer's and i thought it was going to be a movie about like someone slowly dying from Alzheimer's and who really wants to watch that though I watched it for quote professional obligations because it's I, I thought there was a chance it was going to get a best picture nomination and I wanted to be able to complain about uh what was getting nominated for Oscars and, and do so from a place of actual legitimacy because I could say I'd seen the thing if I didn't uh if I if I thought it didn't deserve it so I went the day before the Oscars came out and I saw uh the father and it was actually really good and not depressing in the way I thought. Like Olivia Coleman and Anthony Hopkins, their Oscar nominations are not undeserved, but it's told in a much different. It's a much different story where it's more like you're put in. You're it's edited and shot in such a way that you're almost put into the head and made to feel disoriented in the way that someone that might has Alzheimer's might actually feel and not just watching a guy slowly die of it. And it's actually like it got an Oscar nomination for best editing on top of best picture. And I'd say that editing thing was actually like a really smart call by the editing branch. And it shows that like they really know what they're doing, that they thought this movie that largely takes place in like a couple different settings deserved a uh, editing nomination. So it's not quite the slow, painful movie that you might expect when you hear the conceit of a woman trying to help her dad that has Alzheimer's who doesn't want the help. It's not what you're thinking, and I actually highly recommend it if you're trying to if you're trying to decide if you want to see everything that gets nominated for Best Picture. So uh, that's my recommendation for this week. Uh, Kate, before we sign off, if uh, anyone wants to read any of your stuff or find you on social media, uh, what can you plug for us? Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Kate E. Feldman. It's mostly baseball, I apologize, but I do put all my features out there. Um, and I'm at the New York Daily News. I have a crazy busy April with features. So if you like TV, I have like everything covered. Mm, great. Yeah. If you're if you if you're if you're a Mets fan, uh, Kate's a, uh, a fun a fun Twitter feed to follow because you get all of her thoughts on them, and uh, they they obviously give everyone uh, plenty of things to say. Uh, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O Y on both Twitter and Letterbox. Podcast Twitter is at uh, rewind movie pod podcast email at the rewind movie pod at gmail.com please send us any feedback or suggestions on uh stuff to cover that way everyone thanks for listening coming up next i guess we i'm not even sure I, i'm probably gonna have to make
make someone talk about something depressing like the father though uh we because uh, that's the last oscar movie now that i haven't talked about as far as something that's getting a best picture nomination we might do one on another round which is got nominated for best international feature and uh its director also crashed the best director lineup uh it's my friend josh might uh josh brown our regular guest might join us for that because it's a movie about teachers and he's a teacher so and he really liked that movie so uh he might come talk about that one with us so everyone thanks thanks for joining thanks for thanks for kate for joining us this week and uh we'll see you next time